Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. Amen. Hey, uh, give a good New Song welcome to our dear friend Kevin Pringle. Kevin is the... Executive Director of Youth for Christ, Louisville, Kentucky, amazing man of God, new friend, been a friend to Pastor Bert and Eric Hodge and others for some time. Can't wait to hear what the Lord's put on his heart today. Go ahead and give him another hand as he comes to share the word. I think I turned that. I'm on, right? All right. Very good. Good morning, everybody. It is, uh, it's an honor uh, to be here. Um, thank you, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Tracy, Pastor Bert. Thank you um, for your friendship. Thank you for your fellowship. And uh, thank you for the privilege to be able to uh, uh, steal your pulpit for a Sunday. Uh, we, uh, my, my wife and my oldest daughter are here as well, my wife Beth and my daughter Kennedy. Um, and uh, if you're in the back, you probably heard my grandson um, because you hear him before you see him. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we moved here about three years ago um, from Southern California. And it, that's the response I typically get. <laughs> Prior to that, we were in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. And, you know, here people are like, when they find out we were in California, they're like, why'd you move? Um, there, there's some obvious reasons for that, but... Uh, <laughs> And we were in Lincoln, Nebraska for 21 years. When I tell people that, they're like, why'd you stay? So, <laughs> but uh, it is, it's awesome to be here. When we first got here, um, there was this kind of pressure, tension point of we need to find a church. And we, it wasn't coming from us. It was coming from everybody else. They were saying, you need, to, you need to go find a church. And so we went and visited a lot of churches while we were here. And uh, I have to say, um, coming here, I, I realize you guys are, you're hogging the Holy Spirit. And so, <laughs> and uh, uh, you need to release some of that because, you know, some of the other churches here, they're struggling. They're holding on to a religious spirit. Anyway, um, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it is, it's an honor. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, as Pastor Jeff mentioned, I am the executive director of Youth for Christ Greater Louisville. Um, our, our heart, our vision, our passion is to see lost young people come to know Jesus. That's not our mission statement. If you ask me, I don't even know what our mission statement is. <laughs> I just kind of boil it down. There's lost kids in this city that need Christ. And that's why we serve. That's why I'm alive. That's the passion that rests in my heart is to see young people come to know Christ. 
And the Lord birthed a vision in me in 1997. And in that vision, I, I had gone on a fast. And as you can tell, I don't do that very often. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I had gone on a fast, and the Lord, uh, at the end of that fast, I didn't know when it was going to end. I just said, Lord, I just need, I need a word from you. I need you to talk to me because I don't know what to do. And there was this kind of you thing that always had stirred inside of me, this young people thing. And then I can remember this night I had, um, without being too graphic, <laughs> I, was, I found myself throwing up profusely, which was weird because I hadn't eaten in three days. And I remember collapsing on our bathroom floor, and I heard, I, I'm... And I heard this voice say, rise up, for now I can use you. And as I started to get up and walk out of our bathroom, highlighted in my mind, in my brain, was Exodus 19, 5 and 6. And let me read it to you. This is not the scripture I'm, I'm going to, we're going to be studying from. It's funny, I was talking to Glenn right before service, and he said, man, I don't know what I'm doing. God's changing something. And I'm like, yeah, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> and the Lord said in Exodus 19, he said, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. And I walked to my bedroom. I'm like, Lord, you're sending me to Israel? <laughs> but my wife's pregnant. <laughs> and he said, no. When I say Israelites, I mean those who I set apart. And for you, that means the youth of this nation. Not only those who are youth now, but I'm also birthing. Birthing a nation of young people. That was, was 26 and a half years ago. We have a son that's 26 years old. And every time I look at him, I'm reminded of the covenant that God was sharing with me. And all these places that we've lived and we've moved, it was because we were, we were feeling led by the Spirit to reach out and reach young people for the sake of Christ. And I was sharing this with a gentleman several years ago when we were getting ready to plant a church. He asked, and it was through a survey, how many, how many people have you personally led to Jesus? I said, I don't know, about five or 10,000. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I was wondering why he was surprised by that. Because 
for me, I thought I was speaking conservatively. But he told me, he said, nobody does that. Are you like Billy Graham or something? I'm like, by the way, Billy Graham was the first paid staff of Youth for Christ. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that, yes. Youth for Christ was established in 1948. The chapter in Louisville was established in 1983. And I'm like, no, I'm not Billy Graham, but I just have this passion everywhere I go, and I see young people, I want to share Christ with them. And then people ask me to come speak to a bunch of youth, and I share Christ with them, and then they say yes to Jesus. And so that's happened a lot. He's like, oh, Mike, yeah, so stop tripping. <laughs> and I, I say that, so, I, and I came here with that passion to, to share amongst our staff that, you know, um, there are over 100,000 youth, teenagers in this city. Over 70% of them don't have a church home. And I, I talk to pastors and I talk to churches who they have this passion or thought. I would say thought. We need young, more young people in our church. Yeah. Have you thought about doing something different is my question. <laughs> and there's resistance in that. And we know why. I was a pastor. I, I pastored uh, a few churches. And I understand how, how the system works. And there's fear when you decide to step out and, and take a risk to do something differently than what you've been doing. But as my sister pointed out, if God is pointing us to it, then we need to take the step. We need to stop second-guessing what God is calling us to do. But first and foremost, we need to stop second-guessing who he created us to be. Which is the focal point of the message I, I want to share. So if you have your Bibles, and I don't know why you wouldn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know how it works now. I, I, it's funny because I was asked, hey, you got anything for, you know, uh, display or whatever. And I could have shared the scripture so you could see it and you wouldn't have to look it up. Um, but you all have phones. You can do that. And some of you guys, I love the sound of the flipping of pages. That's, I mean, that feels like church to me. <laughs> but we're looking at Luke chapter four. And in Luke chapter four, it's a very peculiar moment. It's off the heels, what we're going to read is right off the heels of Jesus being tempted in the desert by Satan. There's a preparation that took place, I believe, before this moment that I'm, we're about to read. And when you read it, you feel like Jesus had to go through it. And he had to go through it and it makes sense when he, when he finally makes this statement because he enters a synagogue and here's what happens. A scroll is handed to him. 
This wasn't arbitrary. This was the process. And our Lord and Savior just happened to show up at church on that day. Coincidentally. And the scroll is handed to him, and this is what he reads. In verse 18 of Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. (laughs) I love this. Then he closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant. (laughs) And he sat down. And I'm sure everybody in the room is like, why why is he sitting? Is he finished? (laughs) Yeah. In a real sense, he was. But it was out of custom for him to sit down. That was a very peculiar moment but it was strategic and it was authoritative. It was powerful. And then he said, as all the eyes of were, were uh, in the synagogue were fixed on him, wow. He said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's bad. <laughs> that, that is cold, man. Wouldn't you love to have been there? Because I'm sure an awe went over the room. And you know that thing that we were feeling when we were doing praise and worship? I looked at my wife and said, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm sure that happened that day. Goosebumps filled, and they just piled on top of one another. And I'm sure there were murmurings going on in the room like, whoa, who is this? And then he took it a little too far (laughs) and decided that he was going to offend everybody in the room. I'm going to try not to do that. (laughs) But I do want to focus on what he had read. This is Isaiah's prophecy about him that was spoken and that he read. It's interesting when I've been asked to speak at different places, oftentimes the person who asked me will say, hey, can you send us a bio? And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. (laughs) And I'll send them a bio and then somebody will stand up and they'll read my bio, and I'm like, hmm, I guess I did do a lot, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and it's just kind of weird hearing somebody else read about you, right? But Jesus is in the synagogue reading about himself. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? But he does it with humility, but also with confidence, because he knows who he is. And the problem that we have is that we struggle with who we are. 
If I took a poll of this room right now and asked you, who are you? You would probably struggle. What you would do is tell me what you do. And then you would add stuff to it so that I would say, and we could say, okay, you're legitimate. But does it really identify who you really are? And do you really know that? I got good news for you, hopefully. Outside of Christ, you have no identity. That's where it begins. And when you think about it, and we'll get to this in a second, at the end of the day, who do you want to look like anyway? So Jesus reads, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I wonder if he chuckled when he said that. Because he's reading about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because he has anointed me. And no one in the room probably realized that he was talking about himself. He said, he has sent me, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Does that fit anybody in this room? All right. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Does that fit a description for you? Is that an identifier? To proclaim liberty to the captives. If, uh, is there anyone in this room that feels captivated by a lie that the enemy told you? And that you've been trapped in that lie most of your life? Recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed. See, when I first read this, I thought Jesus was reading this categorically. And I would read it, and I'm like, "Mm, you know, I'm not poor, but I could use some money. (laughs) Yeah, brokenhearted. Yeah, I've experienced that, but let's let's get past let's skip past that one. (laughs) Liberty to the captives, eh, before I met you, yeah, but you know, I'm good now. But recover said, I'm not blind. And I read this again, and Jesus said, all these, you fit in all these. I'm like, well, I'm not blind. He said, yeah, but you are. There's a spiritual blindness that we all suffer from or have suffered from. And maybe you've been set free. But I believe the highlighted point of this is the second thing that he says. And I read out of the New King James because the NIV doesn't read it this way. I love how this says it. It says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. We had a staff meeting a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, and and the Lord has been taking a deep dive with me through this. And he's saying, Kevin, I'm highlighting this for you. You need to pay attention to it. And I'm, I'm asking, well, why? And he said, son, your heart is broken. And I'm like, well, how's that possible? I'm a, I'm a newborn believer in Jesus Christ, bought by your blood, set free. How's my heart broken? Didn't you take care of that? He said, I've been trying. He said, but son, it's not not just you. 
You think it was a coincidental that I read this that day? It was providential. And it was transcendent. And if I was to ask you, have you ever had your heart broken? How many would you raise your hand? <laughs> yeah. And it's funny, when I'm, in a, I'm in a staff meeting, there's, there's six, didn't even have to ask, I knew. But you know what happens when you talk about a broken heart? Nobody really wants to go there. Because if your heart is still broken, if you're still feeling the angst and the pain of, of a broken heart, you don't want to talk about it. You just want to get over it. And so a young lady who was in the room, I asked her, I said, and she said, well, I've had a broken heart. She was brave enough to, to, to admit that she had had a broken heart. And I said, well, what happened? She said, well, I was dating this guy when I was in 11th grade. He broke up with me. And that's usually what happens when we associate broken heart. We think about a relationship that went bad, right? Yes. And we had better gotten over it, especially if you're married now. You should have gotten over it. But what if you didn't? What if you just did what we always do, especially for our generation, take pain, put it in a category, shut the vault, and move on? Then what happens? Anytime that, a, that familiar pain comes back around, we're asking the question, who opened that door? And we got to shut it again. And we got to push stuff back because it's keep piling up. We don't even look in there anymore. We just know there's a bunch of junk in there and we don't want to deal with it. Let's just keep the door shut. And so the, the father was telling me, you need to pay attention to this because not only is it important to you, but it's so important to me. Which begs the question, why? Why is it so important to you? Here's the first thing we need to do when, it's, when we're talking about a broken heart. The first thing that we need to do is admit that we are hurting or have hurt. And I have to be honest with you, not that I wasn't before. <laughs> Just because the pain stopped, doesn't mean you're healed. So you have to be honest. And so when God, I was on this drive, I was a, it was a 10-hour drive, I'm driving back to Nebraska to um, um, try to raise some money for our ministry. But really, I have two grandkids in Nebraska, that's why I was going. But, um, <laughs> but, but I did meet with some potential donors, and, but uh, I, I wanted to see my kids as well and my, and my grandkids. And as I'm driving, I hear the father say, we, we, we need to have a conversation about your heart. And I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. We've been dealing with that. You've been walking with me through that over the past uh, several weeks. Let's go. And, uh, um, you know, I don't know how much more is there, but whatever. And he said, there's brokenness there. I'm like, okay, we're not dealing with this right now. We'll deal with it later this weekend. So I'm going to put on a podcast so I can just kind of, you know, empty or, or just kind of be in this, uh, you know, how you're watching TV and how to think. 
but you hear a podcast or somebody's preaching, you're like, oh, that was good, but yeah, it may or may not apply to you. I put this podcast on, and the first thing I hear from the people on the podcast is how men have broken hearts. Yeah. Yeah. I hate when he does that. <laughs> and then one of them had the audacity to say that men wear masks. All the wives are laughing because <laughs> you know exactly when it comes out and you know what it looks like. And he said, men will mask this pain with stuff that's temp- temporary, but it's satisfactory. And oftentimes, some of the examples are video games. They'll lose themselves in video games. And I'm like, uh-oh. Because there's a game on my phone <laughs> that I'm obsessed with. <laughs> it, <laughs> yes, I can quit anytime. <laughs> and, and it gets real competitive too because I'm ranked in the state of Kentucky on this game. Yes. I can't lose my ranking. (laughs) And I'm like, man, wow, why do you do that? So I'm like, okay, I'll listen to the podcast because right now you're just going to have to speak to them because I'm not ready to dig into this. So I I get to Nebraska I'm exhausted because it's a 10-hour drive, and um, it's too late to get, get to my daughter. So I got a hotel, and I'm in a hotel room, and I can't sleep. You ever have those moments? It's 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm wide awake. And I'm asking, okay, what is this broken heart thing that you want to talk to me? And, and, and then he plays a game he doesn't tell me. <laughs> and I'm like, you know I have a meeting at 630. <laughs> yes. But he doesn't say anything. But I fall asleep. I wake up just in time to shower, go to my meeting, and as I'm pulling out of my parking space, this is when I hear God say, son, your heart is broken. And I'm like, what does that mean? I said, nope, don't tell me, because I can't have this discussion right now. (laughs) Because in 15 minutes, I'm going to meet with a group of men. I can't have this discussion right now. And why are you bringing this up right now? And he said, because I needed to stay on your mind. And you'll be thinking about this the entire time in your meeting, and we're going to have to deal with this. And I'm like, but why is this so important? That's what I'm wondering. I'm not telling him he's wrong. I'm just wondering, why now? And it's amazing how things just they, they build on one another in our lives. You know what I'm talking about? The God starts here, and you think, oh, that doesn't have anything to do with where I want to go. <laughs> and he's like, no, it does. Because you can't get here without going through this. And you're like, I didn't know that connected. And it's so crazy because I preached out of this word to a church three months ago. And I wasn't talking about a broken heart, but he was setting me up 
You know how he does. So he said, I want you to deal with this. And I'm like, okay, hang it. <laughs> but it even started before three months ago because my mom died in May. And just a couple weeks ago, the Lord reminded me that I never really grieved that. I, I, I went into pastor mode. And I stayed there. And one Sunday morning, I'm getting ready to preach at a church, and I'm, my mom's stuff got moved to the area where I usually work by somebody in my house who's been wanting me to go through my mom's stuff. <laughs> and I'm looking at these boxes. And I'm not looking at anything in the box. I'm just looking at the boxes and I'm seeing my mom's writing. I begin to break down. <laughs> and I said, your time is terrible. <laughs> Why are you doing this now? He said, because you haven't grieved her. And then he started walking me back to my brother, my oldest brother who passed away in 2015, I did the same thing. And then when my dad passed away in 1998, he walked me back to that and he, he said, Kevin, you did the same thing. Every time something traumatic happens, you find an unhealthy way to cope with it. But I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. Why, why are you worried about it? Why does this even matter? I'm functioning. Yeah, he said, yeah, that's, that's the problem. I don't want you functioning. When I first came on staff with Youth for Christ, our, our board at the time the conversations we would have were always about how are we going to continue to survive as a ministry. We had money in the bank, but that was kind of their worry. What if the money starts running out? What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? And I said, look, God doesn't care, is not interested in our survival. Either we're thriving in advancing the kingdom and kids are coming to know Jesus or we don't deserve to exist. And in this moment, just a couple of weeks ago, the Lord is saying, you've been functioning, but I want you to thrive because that's how I made you. You were made, people of God, to thrive, not to get by. And he said, this is why it's so important to me. Because every time you pray to me, you're praying to me out of your grief. And so when you pray, it lowers the expectation of what I want to do for you. 
And so you pray as if you need to let me off the hook. But do you know who I am? I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the El Shaddai, the Elohim. That's who I am. I am Jehovah Jireh. I told Moses, I am. Because I'm everything you need. Everything you'll ever ask for, that's who I am. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I will provide for you. I am Jehovah Rapha. I will heal you. I am Jehovah, yeah, a, a, a shit canoe. I am, I am God who will uh, uh, go before you, who will bless you, who will protect you. That's who I am. Stop praying to me out of your brokenness. And pray to me out of my character. I hear hear people pray for those who need to be healed. And they'll pray something like this. And you've been around it. Lord, if it's your will. But they're praying worst case scenario. Because they don't want to pray. God, you are a healer. Because they think, what if he doesn't? And this is what the Father was showing to me and exposing to me. He was saying, you know, when you first got into this, you were praying like nothing could stop you. But because you've experienced so much, so much brokenness, it caught up with you. And now you're praying out of brokenness instead of praying out of a relationship that we have with one another. You're not praying out of joy. You're praying from pain. That's why it's important for you to grieve. Because I want you on the other side of it. Just like my sister was saying. I want you on the other side of it. In the book of 2 Peter... Yeah, I'm going to read it out of, I'll read this one out of the NIV. It says this. It's getting gooder. Actually, I'm gonna, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Yeah. I got, here's what happened. I'm going to get through this real quick. Try to. So in the Genesis story, we are told that we were made in God's image, right? And it's so interesting. It's so powerful when you read through the Genesis story because God is saying these words and things are are coming to life. And he says, let there be light and there's light. He he speaks to the ground and things come up from the ground and he's, he's doing all these things. But then all of a sudden he wants to create us, his masterpiece. And he has a conversation, a convention, if you will, with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And he said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And that's what happened. He made Adam and Eve to look and to sound and to act like him. But they were bamboozled. They were hoodwinked when they were in the garden because the devil said, if you eat from this tree, God knows you'll be more like him. They couldn't have been any more like him than they already were. 
But see, something happened when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were warned not to eat from that tree because if they would eat from it, they would what? Surely die. Why risk that, though? Why would you risk that? Why would you think that God was holding back on you? Why would you think that the Father who created you was lying to you about the things that he promised and told you? We do it. We always question, God, did I hear you? Was that you? I don't know if you did because you're taking way too long. So I'm going to have to do this myself. Why do we go there? As if we're smarter than he is. And, he, and, and the Lord tells them not to eat from this tree, and they do it anyway. Did they die? That's the interesting thing. Huh. Physically, no. We know that. God has given us three major parts. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. The body was created to connect with the natural. The spirit was created to connect with God. And the soul was created to connect to both. But what happened when they ate, something did die. Their spirit. And the soul stood up and said, don't worry. I got this. And we all know that before we come to know Jesus, we're dead in Christ. And when we come to know Jesus, we become alive in Christ. Well, I want you to think about this because Jesus even talked about it as a new birth of us being born again. I remember when my kids were born. And my beautiful daughter right there, I remember that April, that, that April 17th day was tax day for us. And we were in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I remember looking at her and holding her and then I gave her the keys to my car, and I said, go ahead and drive. <laughs> of course, that didn't happen. You know why? She wasn't mature enough. So when we're born again, we have to mature. See, our babies, our grandchildren, they need to hear the sound and the voice of those who take care of them. And they become conditioned to the voice. But if a foreign voice comes in there and starts telling them lies, it will break them. And, and if you don't mind me using this as an example, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up, by the way. If you don't mind me using this as an example, my, my grandson is here with my daughter. That's her, her son. Uh, but my, my grandson's father isn't in the picture, unfortunately. Sometimes he is. And because the court got involved, 
he has to, my grandson has to go visit his father who lives in another state. The first time that happened, he was three years old. He came back from the visit and he looked at his mom, he looked at us, he said, do I ever have to go back there? And then this realization that my grandson's heart at three years old is broken because another voice entered in. So here's what happens in our lives. And this was what the Lord was telling me. He said, your heart is broken. I said, I don't, I don't understand all that. He said, Here, here's how it works, Kevin. He said, your spirit came alive when you were 18 years old. You gave your life to me. And it has to mature. And when, it th- when I introduce to you the things of the spirit, and you want to follow them because the soul has aged beyond the spirit, the soul is saying, we're not going there. Because that's not comfortable for me, and it won't work out for you. That's why we have to die to ourselves daily. Adam and Eve were made in God's image, and guess what? So were you. This is the final thing I'm going to say. Second Peter. Chapter 1. This is so good. Everything we could ever need for life and godliness has already been deposited in us by his divine power. He ain't finished. He goes on, he says, for all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. Woo! As a result of this, he has given you magnificent promises. Somebody say magnificent. Isn't that a good word to say? We need to, we need to infuse that in our vocabulary, in our day-to-day talk. Magnificent. There's no mistaking when you say magnificent, right? That's one of those pay attention to words. Oh, my goodness. Has given you magnificent promises that are beyond all price so that through the power of these tremendous promises... We can experience partnership with his divine nature by which you have escaped the corrupt desires that are of this world. The reason our hearts need to be healed is because the Father wants us to look like him. We're not created to look like our favorite preacher or our favorite athlete. We were designed to look like him. And when we do that, sometimes we don't even have to use words to announce the gospel. 
years ago, I was in this coffee shop in Nebraska. I walked in, and there's two older women sitting by the window, and they, and when I walked in, they're, they kind of chuckle with one another. I go up to the counter, and I can feel them staring at me. Because look at me. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, still got it. Even for the senior crowd. <laughs> and I could hear them chuckle and they whisper to one another. And then I, I get my order and I'm walking out and one of them says, excuse me. And I'm like, oh, here it comes. Married ladies. <laughs> Off limits. <laughs> this woman says, are you a believer? And I said, that, that kind of took the air out of the balloon. <laughs> and I said, excuse me, he said, do you know Jesus? And I said, yeah. And they said, we knew it. We saw you pull up, we saw you get out of the car, and we saw God's light on you. We are designed to look like our Father. And that's where our warm 12 tells us He wants to renew our minds, but He wants to transform our hearts. God bless you. Thank you. Good word, Thank you. Good word. Thank you.